The information in this skill is provided for informational and educational purposes only. Welcome, and thank you for listening to the SMA Flash Briefings. Hi, I'm Price Woldridge. As a rare neuromuscular disorder patient myself, I enjoy reading the flash briefings for spinal muscular atrophy. Here's an article by Marta Figueredo, Ph.D. Sex, SMN2 copy number, influence SMA type 3 age of onset. Sex and the number of copies of the backup SMN2 gene influence both the age of symptom onset and the risk of losing the ability to walk in people with spinal muscular atrophy type 3, according to a Polish registry study. The data also confirmed the notion that earlier symptom onset predicts a more severe disease course, which in this patient population was linked to a higher likelihood of becoming unable to walk. The findings, based mainly on data from untreated patients, add insights to the natural disease course of SMA type 3, which may help inform treatment decisions, the researchers noted. The study, Observation of the Natural Course of Type 3 Spinal Muscular Atrophy, data from the Polish Registry of Spinal Muscular Atrophy, was published in the Orphanet Journal of Rare Diseases. SMA is caused by low or no production of SMN, a protein key for motor neuron and muscle health, due to mutations in the SMN1 gene. It is historically divided into five types, 0, 1, 2, 3, and 4, based on age of onset and maximum motor function achieved. Notably, the presence of a backup gene, SMN2, can partly compensate for the loss of SMN1-produced SMN. Typically, the more SMN2 gene copies a patient has, the less severe the disease, with SMA type 1 patients usually having two copies, those with type 2 carrying three copies, and those with type 3 and 4 disease having three or more copies. The researchers wrote, quote, Registries of patients with rare disorders, such as neuromuscular diseases, have an important role in monitoring the course of the disease, defining trial or treatment-ready population. The Polish Registry of NMDs has been collecting data from people with NMDs, such as SMA, at the Medical University of Warsaw since 2010, several years before Biogen Spinraza, the first SMA disease-modifying therapy, was approved in the country. While the therapy received European Union approval in June 2017, the Polish National Health Service only decided to reimburse it in December 2018 and the first patients began free spinraza treatments in April 2019. Researchers have now described the characteristics of SMA patients enrolled in the Polish registry, with a focus on the disease course of those with SMA type 3, a later onset form, before the availability of disease-modifying treatments. Of note, type 3 is usually characterized by symptom onset after 18 months of age, and can be divided into types 3A, symptom onset before age 3, and 3b, onset after age 3 and less severe. At the cutoff date of October 2019, 790 SMA patients, 173 with type 1 disease, 218 with type 2, 393 with type 3, and 6 with type 4 were included in the registry, making it one of the largest national databases of patients with SMA, the researchers wrote. The observed proportion of SMA types with a predominance of type 3 reflected the real-world prevalence of SMA types, the team noted. A total of 33 patients had received Spinraza, including 4 with type 3 disease, whose data were excluded in the analysis of disease course or ability to walk. 
More than half of the patients were male and adults. The mean age was 8.8 years for SMA type 1, 17.5 years for those with type 2, 28 years for type 3 patients, and 44 years for those with type 4, the mildest form of the disease. In addition, 44% of type 3 patients were still able to walk. The others had lost such ability at a mean of 14 years. Information on SMN2 gene copy number was available for 672 patients, and 94% of the 344 type 3 patients with available data had 3 to 4 SMN2 copies, while 6% had 2 copies. Notably, 59 patients with type 3 disease had their first symptoms earlier than 18 months of age, consistent with some previous reports. The team wrote, this supports the continuum of clinical severity and points out that such cutoff age can result in about 15% of patients not fitting any traditionally defined type of SMA. In SMA type 3 patients, the first symptoms occurred more than three years earlier in those carrying three SMN2 copies than in those with four copies, three years old versus 6.7 years. SMN2 copy number also had a significant impact on disease course, with type 3 patients carrying three or fewer gene copies being two times more likely to lose their ability to walk independently than those with four copies. The researchers wrote, quote, The largest differences in the probability of preserving the ability to walk were noted between patients with SMA3B with four copies of SMN2 and patients with SMA3A with three copies of SMN2. Although the number of copies of SMN2 plays an important role in the disease course, there are certainly other SMA-modifying factors, they added. Males outnumbered females by about two times among type 3B patients and among individuals with type 3 disease and four SMN2 copies, suggesting that more males had a milder form of this type relative to females. In agreement, the age of onset of SMA type 3 was significantly lower in girls than in boys, with no new diagnosis occurring in girls older than 16, and female patients lost their ability to walk nearly four years earlier than male patients. All these observations indicate a possible relationship between sex and the course of SMA, as reported in other studies, the researchers wrote. Overall, the findings highlight that SMN2 copy, number, and sex strongly affect the age of onset and walking ability of SMA type 3 and confirm that age of disease onset also influences the disease course. Coming up next, perspectives from SMA News Today Forum's moderator, Deanne Runge. Thanks for joining me. I'm Deanne Runge, SMA News Today content creator. Today I'd like to share with you Katie Napawaki's recent column, Keeping the Wild Green Thorns of Advocacy Fatigue at Bay. She has an eloquent way of describing some of the struggles we go through and the feelings associated with it. Have you ever felt the sensation of wild green thorns? In times of overwhelming frustration, they slither toward the pit of your inner sanctuary from outer reaches. Their barbed tendrils gouge trails of apathy across the stone walls and humble cottage windows surrounding your heart. They bludgeon through the glass and slide beneath doorways, parading a pathway of turmoil with utter disregard for the welfare of your cherished personal effects. Born from a place where cold mists roam aimlessly and every corner conceals dark deeds, 
They emerge to devour things that bring the faintest touch of joy. Entire fields of sunflowers, golden afternoons, bluebirds, outdoor movie theaters, and bad dad jokes. I named the wild green thorns on a Friday morning. In some combination of working and waiting, I sat at my desk. Warm spring winds and tree pollen spun through the screen of an open window beside me. Like a bumblebee rousing from a nightmare, my cell phone erupted in a frenzy. Extending my forearm at the speed of a sloth after its daybreak cup of coffee, I tapped the notification and began skimming the new email with eager eyes. I exhaled a robust sigh of disappointment. The wet blanket of an out-of-office reply smacked my shiny spirit on the apple of its cheek. This time it left a bruise. For several weeks I had connected with a prospective new caregiver. After accepting the position with me, we agreed upon a schedule that was tentatively set to begin the following Tuesday. I'd done my part, but the remaining piece of the puzzle involved the processing of her paperwork by a third-party caregiving coordination service in which I'm enrolled. So far, my new caregiver and I had delayed her tentative start date numerous times to accommodate paperwork processing. My Friday morning email was an assertive knock on the ominous doors of disservice and oppression that people with disabilities often face throughout daily life. With gentle conviction but strong will, I issued a directive of urgency and a respectful reminder of how my daily cares allow me to engage in every facet of life the way non-disabled people do. Care coordination programs are my bridges to vast landscapes of independence. Matters of lackluster diligence and untimely paperwork processing can disrupt the entire flow of my life. Pen and paper, organizational charts, and efficient administrative processes all seem cold and contrasting to the warm nature of hands-on care that I receive. But such desk-oriented functions are critical in heralding my opportunity to roll from one day to the next with some degree of ease, structure, and dignity. Although these tasks begin in an office, they require heart and compassion in understanding the heightened caregiving needs some people require. I turned my head from the clamor of life and stared out the open window. I could feel the presence of the wild green thorns stalking me with salvating tongues, whetting their appetite for any ray of light within me. Within the infrastructure of my quality of life, my decree of caregiving needs is written in wet cement. There exists no template for an out-of-office message, no parameters for vacation days. My disability doesn't offer the coveted benefit of a flexible schedule. My SMA body doesn't honor weekends, holidays, or paid time off. When it gets sick, we go down together, and we always require another human to help us get back up again. In these moments of fierce self-advocacy that so often accompany life with a disability, it's not uncommon to feel drained from advocacy fatigue. Moments engulfed by wild green thorns render us panicked, unheard, distraught, and afraid. We swallow in audible gulps and sense our body vibrating with indignation. We're distracted by clammy palms and grievances against the heartless process of a shoddy system. We feel discouraged with vexation from the perpetual need to be the squeaky wheel, demanding access to equity in the machinery of society. Within the confines of these moments, when my insides feel chaotic and spent with advocacy fatigue, I seek alignment between my head and heart. 
I remember the people who have my back. I remind myself of the allies I've forged through my adventures with SMA, and how those relationships have bloomed in fortification of empathy, unity, and perspective. I lean on loved ones who help me prune the wicked vines. The wild greenthorns operate with malice and intent to make our world feel small. At times they succeed, yet they're ignorant. They underestimate the wisdom and strength we gather from the tribulations imposed by their crude philosophy. For every disheartening notion that infiltrates our way of life, there's also boundless goodwill and ways to grow abundant gardens in place of wild green thorns. Thanks for sharing this with us, Katie. I'm sure many of us can relate, and now thanks to you have a name, Wild Green Thorns, to associate with the feelings from those draining situations. That's all I have for you today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a good day everyone. We'll talk again soon. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.